0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So about 10 years ago, actually this month, 10 years ago, I was in Haiti. Because we made a a collection for the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Haiti, and I and another guy from our church was... uh, Designated to go down there and meet them personally. Uh, Why? Because there was a 7.0 earthquake that hit Haiti in January 2010. Right near the capital of Port-au-Prince in the Caribbean. Um, And really only six miles underneath the earth, which is pretty shallow. It caused a great amount of devastation. 7.0 earthquake. 200,000 people died. If you think about what that means, it would be the city of Sterling Heights and Troy put together, all wiped out. 200,000, 300,000 injured, 5 million displaced, and that country was devastating. It was one of the most, I think it was the most devastating natural disaster Haiti has ever uh, experienced. The Capitol building, destroyed, just, just crushed. The airport, shut down for, for many, many days. Buildings, I mean, it, they look like pancakes, 30 seconds is all it took. 30 seconds, the earth shook, and all this damage, catastrophic damage happened. It looked like a war zone when I got there. Bandaged and bloody people, kind of uh, looking like zombies, really. When I, when I looked at their eyes, they were dazed and confused. There were all kinds of temporary tent cities all over the place when I went there. Electrical lines down, people that, with their bare hands just going and digging in the, in the rubble to rescue people in the recovery it was it was crazy there was destruction everywhere but out of all this in the midst of all this I saw something pretty spectacular because there was a church that was in ruins and reduced to rubble but what caught my eye wasn't the destruction it was a cross it was a cross just standing there like untouched and was just screaming out at me no matter what the cross will we stand even in a country um, where they dedicate, uh, where, where they said voodoo is the national religion. In 2003, they said voodoo is the national religion. religion. Missionaries and pastors, they kind of, as uh, um, a truism when you're, when you're down there. They say it's 90% Roman Catholic, 10% Protestant, but 100% voodoo. I mean, it bleeds out in every fabric of their culture. And when I think of that, and I, I look at this cross, um, I want to focus on that tonight because really the Christian church from the beginning had its symbol as the cross. I mean, think about it. It could have been a manger, right? When it was the place where Jesus was born. It could have been um, a tomb. It could have been a light, like Jesus as the light of the world, or a dove representing peace in the Holy Spirit. All those are great Christian symbols, aren't they? A crown, a throne. But yet, what stuck as really the distinguishing mark of Christianity was the cross. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And my question to you, for you to ponder tonight, what do you think about the cross? How does it make you feel? How much do you think about what difference does it make? Because it's fitting on an Ash Wednesday, when you come for communion, you're also going to have the opportunity. You don't have to, but you're going to have the opportunity to have a cross placed on your forehead. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I really don't think about the cross all that much. I mean, I know Jesus died there. That's okay. We're going to ponder a little bit about the effects of the cross tonight. Because really throughout the centuries, the cross caused a whole bunch of confusion. It really did. From Jesus' day until today, the cross causes confusion. I mean, maybe some people, the only experience they're going to have with the cross is having a, a necklace, right, on wearing it. But in Jesus' day, even his disciples said, the cross is not the way to go, Jesus. You're not to go there. And you think about when Jesus was on the cross, the Roman soldiers and people mocking him, right? Hey, if you are the son of God, get down from that. Get down from the cross. It causes confusion. Confusion. Even Jesus, while he says to his disciples, he's saying, this is the way I must go. I must suffer on a cross. I must die. I must rise again. At the same time, one of the the last night on earth, he said, take this cup. Take this cross from me. But not my will. Yours be done, Lord. So we're going to talk a little bit about the cross tonight. Open up your Bibles, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 18. So on page 1772 in the Bibles we provide... going to skip around. We're going to start in in, in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Sorry if I said that wrong. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. We'll just kind of go uh, verse by verses or verses. You know, as Christianity kind of grew, the cross certainly was misunderstood. And as I was thinking about this preaching tonight... um, Why is the cross a prominent symbol for Christianity? I submit to you that it's the prominent symbol because it's the central message of the gospel. It's the central message of the gospel. Beginning in verse 18, here's St. Paul writing to these new Christians in Corinth. And he says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what effect does the cross have to Paul and what he's writing to the Corinthians? It divides people. It divides. The cross divides. You see it in verse 18. Two sides or two groups are mentioned. Those perishing and those that are being saved. The cross has two different effects. One is, it's foolishness. And that Greek word foolishness, we get the English word moron from it. It's absurd. It's idiotic to some. You know anybody who thinks like that? Who thinks that Christians are kind of morons? They're, they're, they're idiots because how can in the world can you focus on a guy that's dead on a cross? You ever heard that before? I mean, maybe some people say, you know, why don't you just say he's just a good moral teacher, or he's a miracle worker, or a healer, but why all this death and dying stuff? See, that's exactly what Paul is saying. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing because it doesn't make sense to them. You see, I think, actually, Pastor Joe said it last week, uh, and he, he might even mention Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy twenty-one thirteen says, you must not leave a body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's Curse. That's what the Jewish people thought, that if, if you were hung on a tree, if you were crucified, you're under God's curse. See, the Jewish people thought it was divine judgment. I mean, if, if a first century Jew would come, would see somebody wearing a cross today, they'd probably be horrified. Same thing if we would see somebody that's wearing a, a, a symbol of a, a noose or an electric chair. We'd, like, we'd say, what, what is that? They would have that same kind of reaction But that's exactly what God is trying to communicate in Deuteronomy that we see that it is. It is exactly why Jesus had to go to the cross because it was a cursed place. It was. Jesus was carrying the sins of the whole world there and God's curse was laid on him. And not you. And that's good news because he paid for the penalty of our sin. The cross divides. Verse 18 says it's foolishness to some. It's the power of God to others. Two groups. Those that are being saved and those who are unsaved. Those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. It causes division. Doesn't it? The cross causes division in families. In governments. In workplaces. In schools and communities. But for Christians the cross is the power of God. The power of God over sin and the punishment that we deserve See, the cross symbolizes us belonging to God's family. When you're baptized, as pastors, we put the mark of the cross on your forehead and on your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Jesus. So how does this greatest missionary ever, Paul, St. Paul, preach? What does he say, not just about the cross dividing? Go on to verse 22. Verse 22 says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. We're in this series called Signs and Wonders. Jews are asking for Jesus to show them a sign of God's power. and Greeks, they're well known for wisdom. Think about the Greek culture a little bit. The Roman culture was Jesus' day, but just before the Roman cult- culture was the Greeks' So they're still being influenced by the Greeks in Jesus' day. In fact, it was the, the lingua franca or the language of the day. It was a common language just like English is to us. Think about what the Greeks gave to us. The architecture, right? The columns of the, the Parthenon still to this day in, in architecture. Philosophy, libraries, even the word alphabet. In English, English alphabet was made up of alpha, the first letter, and beta of the Greek language. I mean, they did all kinds of things. They were world-renowned. And Paul's talking to the Greeks and to the Romans as a missionary. What is he going to say to them? Look at verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Did you catch that? When Paul and the other disciples are preaching, they're not talking about his miracles first. They're not talking about his sinless life first, his good moral teaching. They preach Christ crucified and it divided people. It was foolishness to the Gentiles. What was it to Jews? A stumbling block. That Greek word for stumbling block means scandal. It means it was shameful. It means it was embarrassment. How can you say Messiah had to die on a cross? There's no way. It was hard for them to come to faith because of that. Yet for those who believe, Paul boldly preaches Christ crucified because it was the very moment of God's victory. God's declaring on the cross, Satan, you're defeated. My sin is one? I mean, I'm won by, by his death on the cross. I have victory. So he's saying in his letter to the Jews, if you want to see a sign, a powerful sign, there's no other place to look for than the cross because his body isn't there anymore, right? He died for our sins, but if, you, if, you, if he's talking to the Greeks, Paul's saying, you're looking for wisdom? Stop right there on what was accomplished at the cross.'" wonder if you know anybody today that has a kind of an uncaring attitude toward the cross. One who thinks that they're too intellectual to believe that kind of stuff. Sin, forgiveness, dying on a cross. I mean, that's people who need a crutch. You ever hear that? I remember reading an article years ago, Ted Turner, you know, the guy that owns CNN, TNT, TDS, whatever it is. He's Turner Classic Movies, you know, that guy. You know what he said? Christianity is a religion for losers. In fact, what I read, he told his CNN employees who observed Ash Wednesday, he said, Those Jesus freaks should go work for Fox. Now, he later apologized for that comment, but, not, but we all know what he feels like. It's no secret about Christians. You see, Jesus' cross divides people, it does. And Paul knows that, so he's writing clearly. Look at verse 25 to 31. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, God's wisdom and sending Jesus to the cross, it divides, it confuses, but not only that, secondly, it changes our relationship to God. It changes our relationship to God. Because before the cross, God's people had to do all kinds of sacrifices, didn't they? To take care of the sin problem They had to have an animal presented to the high priest. The priest killed that animal. They had to do it over and over again. And Jesus, when the cross comes, he's saying he's opening a new way to relate to God. Jesus' death on a cross, it marked a new way to do that. And it's because of the cross that now, that, that now we have access to God the Father. I like this picture. This chasm has been really... Through the cross, we have that ability. Remember a couple weeks ago I said to you that God looks at us cross-eyed? That through the eyes of the cross, he sees our sin no more? Because the Bible clearly says the wages of sin is death. That's what happens to every single person on this earth. Because we sin, therefore we die. But because of Jesus, we get this free gift of eternity. I love that. That that Jesus has really, the chasm of our sin has been bridged because of him. We have access to God. I love that. See, there's no doubt that God hates sin. And sin brings separation. But the cross gives us a new way, a relationship with God the Father. So as you receive those ashes on your head tonight, here's what I want you to think about. It's that symbol of the cross that we make on your forehead. You remember how our physical bodies, dust were made, to dust will return, because the wages of sin is death. But at the same time, we remember that we've been marked. We've been set apart. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, the Bible says. His death, his death on that cross allows us to be able To have a relationship with a holy God. Eternity. I love that. See, if we didn't have the cross, we'd be eternally separated. So we praise him for that. So the cross, it divides people. It changes our relationship with God. And number three, it changes our perspective on ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, this uh, 20th century Anglican priest, his name was William Temple. He said these words. My worth is what I'm worth to God. And that is a marvelous great deal. For Christ died for me. My worth, my worth is what I am worth to God. Isn't that so true? Unfortunately, here's the thing. As Christians, we mess that all up. I mean, we look to ourselves. We look at self-help books we look at ourselves in the mirror, we start to compare, we look at social media all day long, and we think, "Man, that person and this person." And we listen to experts trying to tell us how we should look into inside of ourselves to find our worth. But here's the thing, when we focus on us, and when we focus on what we look like, we focus on what we can do or what we can't do. We're focusing on the wrong place. We need to focus on the cross kind of reminds me of this, you know, um, I'm not an art goer or an art lover, but when I see a work of art or a piece of art and I think, eh, it's kind of ugly. Uh, You walk into somebody's house and that's what you're thinking, why would you buy that, you know? Or unless you're with an expert, right, or unless you're with the person who paid all kinds of money for this piece of art, they know its value and we could care less but think about this in god's eyes you're a piece of art to god you're highly valued he's bought you at a price jesus thought you were valuable enough to be worth dying for my actually my confirmation my confirmation verse as a, as an adult is from 1 corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus' death on a cross. Let's not underestimate it. Don't let the world around you or the devil turn your focus on yourself to find your worth. Because as long as we live for ourselves, consciously wrapped up in us, trying to feel good about ourselves, trying to cover up our weaknesses trying to be what we weren't created to be, dissatisfied with who we are, then we're going to live empty and depressed lives. And the devil wants that, doesn't he? I mean, the devil wants us to fixate and and put labels on us by society, labels that say you're dysfunctional, or you're depressed, or, or, or you're a manic, or you have anxiety, or you're an alcoholic, or you're an adulterer, or you're a homosexual, or you're a gossip, or you're a thief. you're a Christian those are all untrue labels because your label is child of God you're worth dying for Jesus says he went to the cross for you the Bible says for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame the cross defines our worth doesn't it It really does. The cross defines our perspective on how we view ourselves. I love St. Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 if you want to write that down. See, when I'm crucified with Christ, not only am I crucified with him, I'm also raised with him. Because he rose again from the dead, so am I, and so will I. So I see my sin differently. I view other people differently. I don't relate to sin the same way. Why? Because God looks at me cross-eyed. I'm worthy to him. You're worthy to him. So when those ashes go on your forehead, remember your true identity. Last point. What's a cross do? It changes our response to suffering. And I want to speak to you who are suffering, maybe mentally or emotionally or spiritually. Maybe you feel like an earthquake of trouble is coming away, kind of like that Haiti earthquake and you saw those images. Maybe you know the devastation and the discouragement and what it's making you feel like with rubble and ruins all around you. I get it. It's during those challenging times, though, that God reminds us to look to the cross. Because remember what that cross in Haiti was doing? Standing. He was standing. He truly understands and he sympathizes with our weakness. It's in our suffering that we look to the one who suffered for us and suffers with us. And maybe you can relate to this. I have a story to share with you. It was, it was told by a guy by the name of Watchman Nee. Now, that's not his uh, real name, his Chinese name I can't pronounce. But Watchman, he changed his name to that because he felt like he was a watchman for the Lord. He, he shares this story. He says, one day I was standing on a dock by the side of the lake with a friend of mine who was an excellent swimmer. And both of them were watching a man who was kind of far out from shore. And all of a sudden, this man starts flailing in the water. He gets into trouble. He begins kicking and screaming and thrashing in the water. And so, Knee turns to his friend Aren't you going to do something? I mean, you're the expert swimmer. Go out and save this man. He's in trouble. The man says, Not yet. A few moments pass, and the man in the lake, he's going up and he's going down and he's struggling, he's fighting for air. Watch Manis saying, Save him now, will you save him? His friend said, Not yet. Finally, the man stops thrashing and all was calm. And Nee's friend jumps into the water with expert strokes. He swims to the drowning man, began to pull him to shore. They get into shore, and he's friends administers aid to him. He begins coughing, coughing and sputtering, and he was revived. So after the incident is over, Ne confronts the man. Why did you wait so long to save this man? I mean, he could have drowned. The man says, I had no choice. I had no other choice. If I would have gone to him immediately, he would have continued to panic and pulled me down. I had to wait until he stopped kicking. Then I could save him. Maybe some of you lifeguards out there understand that. I had to wait until he stopped kicking and I could save him. Isn't that so true? Don't we have the same tendencies when we get into trouble? We're screaming, we're flailing, we're thrashing, we're yelling out. But let me ask you, are you willing to stop kicking and thrashing? Are you willing to see that maybe all these conflicts and struggles and disappointments that you're experiencing might just be the means by which Jesus is going to draw you closer to himself. Even in the midst of our heartbreaks and our sufferings, we can count all his blessings, can't we? What Jesus won for us on that cross, because I don't know about you, but I I know for me, the cross assures me of my salvation, that my sin is taken care of, that I have an eternal future with him, that I can rely on his strength, not my own, because the promise is heaven. The promise is living with him in a new heaven and a new earth. No more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. And I can't wait for that day. Despite of all the mess and the rubble and the ruin all around me, the cross stands. The cross stands tall and strong. So tonight is really about the beginning of that journey, that we would point to the cross, that we would look to it, that we would understand all the benefits we receive from it because someday those nail-scarred hands and arms are going to be meeting you in heaven and Jesus is going to say this is how much I love you you're valuable to me you're worth dying for the cross it's necessary why don't you bow your heads and let's remember on this Ash Wednesday that we can put all our sins at the foot of that cross. So would you take some time now to do that? I love the true words from the scripture that says if we say we have no sin then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you confess those sins be assured that on the cross Jesus paid for them all. Paid in full, your sins forgiven. Amen?